in what may be the game of the week in week nine. Two first place teams will duel in Baltimore and the Seahawks hope a new weapon on defense can help them beat a talented Ravens squad. We're going to be breaking it all down on a new crossover Thursday edition on the Locked On Podcast Network. You are Locked On Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome into this episode of Locked On Ravens and Locked On Seahawks Crossover Thursday. I'm Kevin Ostreicher, the host of Locked On Ravens. Joining me here is Corbin Smith, the host of Locked On Seahawks. Thank you so much for making both Locked On Ravens and Locked On Seahawks your first listens each and every day. We're free and available on all podcasts and platforms. That includes over in video form on YouTube. And today's episode of both Locked On Ravens and Locked On Seahawks is brought to you by Price Picks, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to PricePicks.com. Slash lockdown NFL and use code all lowercase lockdown NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Corbin, I'm excited for this game. Two powerhouses, AFC, NFC. And I think that with the way these two teams have been playing, the Seahawks traveling to Baltimore here, it could be a close, hard fought game that honestly is one of the games of the week. I think that this is a dark horse Super Bowl preview. That That's my opinion of this game. And the reason I'm saying dark horse is because I still don't know that Seattle is quite in that realm where they are one of the top couple teams in the NFC, but they're right there. They are right in the cusp of being in that discussion. And I think Baltimore is absolutely in that discussion on the AFC side. And what I'm so excited about this game is you're going to be talking about two very well-coached teams, two of the longest-tenured coaches in the NFL, Pete Carroll and John Harbaugh, and they both love to run the football. They both love defense. I think this is going to be one of those old-fashioned black-and-blue matchups. It's going to be a lot of fun for fans for both teams, and also stress-inducing because that's the, that's what this game is going to be like. I think it's going to be really close, so I cannot wait. This has been a game I've had circled since May, and now it's even bigger than what I anticipated it was going to be with both these teams having at least five wins and and being ahead of their division. Yeah, Ravens six and two, Seahawks five and two as they've already gone through their bye. And there there are many storylines throughout, big ones, tiny ones. One of them we were talking about it off the air is that it's eerily similar to the trade deadline aspect of both the 2019 game that happened the last time these two teams matched up. And then this one, where in 2019, the Ravens acquired Marcus Peters just days before that Seattle game. He suits up, has a huge play. Well, 2023, the Seahawks made a big trade, bringing in big Leonard Williams to anchor that defensive line, and he's going to suit up in this one. Corbin, I think the biggest storyline for the Ravens, at least because we're past the trade deadline, was Baltimore not making a move and rolling with their roster. But in Seattle, people have to be feeling pretty good about that Leonard Williams trade. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, you've got your handful of fans that look at the compensation and say, we gave up a second round pick for a guy that's on an expiring contract. But look, you look at the details of the trade. The Seahawks were able to get Leonard Williams and only have to pay $647,000 for the remainder of the season. The, The Giants paid for the rest of it. It was a baseball style trade. We are going to pay you extra to get that second round pick. And Seattle has an extra third round pick they got from the Broncos last year. So they felt like this was a deal that was good to go in. I think the Seahawks want Leonard Williams to be here beyond this season. I don't think they view this as a rental. Obviously there's always a chance that he ends up leaving if they can't agree on money, but 
this is a guy that fits their scheme perfectly. I think he's one of the most underrated players in the NFL because he's played on bad teams most of his career. If he played on a few more playoff teams, there's probably several more Pro Bowls and maybe some All-Pros on his resume. He's that kind of a player. And I think it's going to be really exciting to see him with Jaron Reed, Draymond Jones, and Mario Edwards. Those four, that is a quartet that – looks so much better than the defensive line they had last year. They could defend the run. All of them are capable of rushing the passer as well. And they're going to need those guys in this game going against Lamar Jackson with the way that he moves around and getting some interior pressure has often been the way that you can maybe get him rattled a little bit. And for me, I think that with this Ravens team, the offensive line has been you know, up and down a little bit this season. Now, I will say that Tyler Linderbaum against Leonard Williams in that Giants front last year struggled a little bit. And Linderbaum's been great since being a first-round pick for them last year. And obviously, there's a little factor because Dexter Lawrence, you know, was playing alongside Leonard Williams in New York. But we'll see how that matches up. We'll talk about matchups a little bit later here in the show. But that's one I'm kind of honing in on is we go forth and look at some of these key areas where both teams – could have an advantage, but Corbin injury wise for the Ravens, you know, haven't really said this a lot over the course of the last four years, but the Ravens are looking actually pretty healthy. Marcus Williams returned back to practice on Wednesday. He's been really the only big guy left. The Ravens suffered a ton of injuries in the first three weeks. Ronnie Stanley, Linderbaum, Williams, Marlon Humphrey missed the start of the season at Afe Owe. But Baltimore's gotten most of those guys back. Williams went down again. We'll see if Williams plays this week or not. But the only guys not practicing on Wednesday, Gus Edwards, Otto Beckham Jr., Stanley, Morgan Moses, Adafi Owe, and Rocky Essien. I'd assume most of those are vet days. John Harbaugh was not concerned during his post-practice media availability. So I'd assume most of those guys play. So Baltimore's looking pretty good on the injury front. But what about Seattle? Yeah, so Seattle is interesting. They've been really banged up most of the season. Even after getting a bye week, they were still having some injury issues. DK Metcalf missed the first game of his career a couple weeks ago with rib injury, a hip injury that he was dealing with. He had a couple different ailments that he was battling, and they've had a number of guys in and out of the lineup. But this week, they're hoping to get Phil Haynes back, their starting right guard. He's missed the last couple games with a calf injury. Jamal Adams looks to be in good shape. Metcalf's in good shape. Wagner and all these guys that have been missing practice time. Tyler Lockett's played the last two games with a hamstring injury. They're going to be light on some of these guys during the practice week. But barring an unexpected setback for some of these players or a new injury that happens on the practice field, I expect that Seattle is going to be very close to full strength, if not completely at full strength, really for the first time since the beginning of the season. Abraham Lucas being the one thing withstanding here, the starting right tackle is still an injured reserve, but they're not expecting him to be able to return to practice this week. So as far as the players that are on the roster, uh, they're in pretty good shape as well. And so I think that adds a lot of excitement to this matchup, that both teams are going to be full strength. You want the best shot you can get when you're going against other really talented football teams. And that's the case with Baltimore and Seattle. And for me, this is an interesting game because the Ravens played the Lions a couple weeks ago who were lauded as one of the better teams in the NFC. And obviously Seattle and Detroit are different teams, right? It's not the same thing. But the Lions had a top 10 defense. They came into MT Make Stadium. The Ravens beat them 38 to 6. The Seahawks have a top 10 defense too. Have, have there been any surprises for you on that defense, Corbin? Well, going into the year, the interior defensive line, everybody was talking about that being a perceived weakness, and it's been the polar opposite even before trading for Leonard Williams. Jaron Reed has 
been rejuvenated coming back to Seattle. Draymond Jones is quietly having a really solid season. Mario Edwards on pace for a career high in quarterback pressures. He's been good. Rookie Cam Young has been a solid nose tackle in a reserve role. They're pass rushers. Losing Uchenna Nuosu certainly is a big loss for them, but they're hoping Leonard Williams from the interior can help mitigate some of that. Boy, Mafe is playing like an all-pro at the other edge position. So uh, this defense, they've just got a lot of pieces that they can move around, like Jamal Adams, Devin Witherspoon, their star rookie, top five pick. They've got guys they can move all over the field, and Clint Hurt is doing a masterful job with that. But this is going to be the ultimate test for them dealing with Lamar Jackson and all the weapons that he now has with this Baltimore offense, Todd Monk, and call on the plays. Uh, so it's it's going to be an exciting matchup. We're going to keep saying that over and over again, but this is a game I have really been looking forward to. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting too because with the Ravens defense, you know, the, the Seahawks have that do-it-all safety in Jamal Adams. Well, Kyle Hamilton's kind of been that for the Ravens this year where you can bring him off the edge, you can play him as a dime back, you can put him in the slot, you can do so much with him. And Mike McDonald, who I don't might be getting some head coaching opportunities in the offseason because that defense has played so well for him and for the Ravens. You talked about the Seahawks interior defensive line kind of being a question point heading into the season, but it's been a little better than you thought. Well, I think that was the secondary for the Ravens with some of the depth. Brandon Stevens, who has really flipped every single year position-wise, came into the league as a corner after being a running back for the first two years of college, flipped to safety, next year flipped to corner, was actually going to play safety again this year, but Baltimore was so banged up in their corner room, they had to put him back at corner. He's been the perfect number two next to Marlon Humphrey. Humphrey's come back. He's looked like his old Marlon Humphrey self for the most part. But they've gotten contributions from Ronald Darby. And Rocky Asin's made a couple of plays here and there. It's their depth that stepped up in a big way. I know Seattle's old friend Genevieve Clowney is here in Baltimore making a big yeah. impact. So there are just, you know, Kyle Van Noy, Gino Stone, Justin Matabike is having a great year. Guys are stepping up for the Ravens. And to me, we can talk about the stars on both sides. But it's kind of those unheralded depth pieces, and I know we'll get to that a little later too, that have been making a huge impact for Baltimore, and I know Seattle has their fair share of guys doing that as well. But coming up in the second part of the show, we'll move into key matchups and talk about where we're looking to have both these teams make an impact and where both teams could potentially win, both on the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball. So be sure to stay tuned. Still a ton to talk about here on both Locked on Ravens and Locked on Seahawks. First, this episode is brought to you by DoorDash, and I've had a ton of times in my life where I'm watching a game, and there's just stoppage, and I want to go get a snack, but there's nothing in my house to go get. So DoorDash solves that problem, and there are a couple of different ways you can go with DoorDash. In fact, there are many. You can order maybe the game day package. That's pizza, wings, soda, burgers even if you want to do your own thing just get buns and you can put burgers on there it's awesome doordash has that for you or if you want the snack package so you got chips dips nachos maybe you want to make your own nachos doordash has that as well and in the baltimore area at least there are plenty of solid options sushi there's sushi hana underground pizza for pizza i know in the seattle area there are also plenty of options over on doordash you can get 50 percent off up to 10 dollars value when you spend 15 dollars more on your first order when you download the doordash app and enter code lock 23 subject to change terms apply and you can also get prepared before game day. you can stock up on those favorite appetizers and order all your tailgate gear 
on DoorDash and get ready to watch your team win. That's 50% off up to $10 value when you spend $15 or more on your first order when you download the DoorDash app and enter code LOCK23 subject to change terms apply. Again, don't forget to use code LOCK23 for 50% off of $10 value on your first order when you download the DoorDash app and spend $15 or more subject to change terms apply. We're back here with our second segment of both Locked On Ravens and Locked On Seahawks. Kevin Ostriker with Corbin Smith. And Corbin, this is going to be, I think, again, a slug it out, grind it out, really good game. But both teams have to do their best to contain the other stars. Obviously, Seattle with Lamar Jackson and the Ravens with a bunch of Seattle's offensive weapons, such as Kenneth Walker, DK Metcalf, and obviously Geno Stone, who was the a big storyline for last year. But for me... I think one of the big matchups is just getting Geno Stone a bit rattled and getting him into turnover-worthy situations, maybe speed up that clock. So the Ravens' pass rush versus the Seattle offensive line is going to be a big one for me. And obviously that there are a couple of other layers to it, such as if the Ravens' interior defensive linemen can get off of blocks, they can clog up those running lanes early, free up lanes for Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen to run through. And you mentioned Seattle's looking to get back some guys on that line for this week. I'm interested to see how those two match up because for me, at least it's always won and lost in the trenches on both sides of the ball. And I think Baltimore, if they can establish something early and set a tone, it could bode well for him. But if not, then Geno Smith might have all day to work in that offense. Yeah. You know, it seems cliche, but in this matchup, I'm looking at the Seahawks entire offensive line going up against what Baltimore is bringing to the equation because the Ravens are in the top five in sacks. They're in the top five in tackles for loss, top five in quarterback hits. And they have not blitzed near as much as they have in the past. This is a team that's in the middle of the pack. So they've been able to rely more on four, three and four man rushes because it's been effective. Their front line has done a really good job. So in particular, I'm looking in the interior, whether it's Phil Haynes or rookie Anthony Bradford, who has quite frankly gotten better every single start he's been out there. That's what you hope to see from a mid-round rookie that's starting games. And he's done some really nice things out there. There's been the rookie lumps, but You've got those two guards. You've got Damian Lewis over the left side, who is the elder statesman of this offensive line in year four. I mean, this is a pretty young offensive line, but Evan Brown has been an excellent addition at the center position, has yet to give up a quarterback hit this year in pass protection. But I'm just looking at Baltimore's defensive line with Matabuke and Michael Pierce, that mountain of a man in the middle. I'm curious to see how that works out for Evan Brown and the guards going up against those players. And if, Project Washington is available as well. This is a Ravens front that it concerns me in the interior, both running the football and being able to protect Geno Smith. And on the outside, the Seahawks have Charles Cross back, so that's good news. They're still without Abraham Lucas, who may or may not be back this year. We don't know where that is trending. He will not be playing this week, though, which means we may see both Storm Stone Forsythe and Jason Peters playing tackle on the right side. That's what happened last week, and they both played pretty well against the Cleveland Browns, but they're kind of going with a by committee approach over there with one guy that is now in year 20 and another player that's in year three, hasn't started many games, but Stone Forsyth looked pretty solid. So this is another great litmus test for them. I thought last week they held up pretty darn well against that stout Cleveland front. Can they do it again this time without the home crowd behind them to make things a little bit easier? So that is a crucial matchup to me all across the line, but especially in the interior in a game where I think Seattle is going to have to be able to run the ball some to have a chance to win. Yeah. And I know Baltimore doesn't have a miles Garrett on their line. So I think that's probably a relief to the Seahawks, but 
I think that the way that their guys are playing, it's a by committee thing. And I think they've gotten so much of a higher level of play from a guy like Clowney and Van Noy and some of their other pieces. That's going to be a key one, but I'll flip it, Corbin. I'll say also the Ravens offensive line versus Seattle's pass rush, especially with the added storyline of Leonard Williams now being there. You mentioned Jaron Reed. He's been a force for them inside so far, four sacks. Boy, Mafe is their sack leader with five, and they've had other guys contributing there as well. But one key point for me to watch is Ronnie Stanley. Stanley has had some fine weeks, but he's also had some really bad weeks. For me, watching the film, watching the highlights and the tape, it doesn't feel like he can drop his anchor as much anymore. And I think it has to do with the injury he suffered a couple years ago against the Steelers. Took a while to get back from that. But he has had his fair share of struggles this year and added in with the fact that we'll see how Linderbaum fares against that interior of Seattle's defensive line. Morgan Moses has played pretty well. Kevin Zeitler had a rough start to the year, but he's stepped up big. The one area that people were wondering about entering the season was left guard. They lost Ben Powers to the Denver Broncos. He signed a huge money contract over there. John Simpson stepped in, the former Raiders second-round pick, and he's been fine. Not you know an all-pro level, but he's he's been fine over there. So for me... Lamar can do Lamar things, even if there is pressure. If you, if you do everything perfectly against Lamar, you get to him, he can escape and make magic happen. So it's not just as simple as, hey, you beat the offensive lineman, you get to Lamar, the play's over. He can extend, he can make magic happen. And he has masked for some of the inconsistencies that the Baltimore offense has had, but you know he can only do so much. And if the pressure keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming from Seattle, it could prove to be a difficult thing. Yeah, I'm going to move away from the trenches when I'm looking at the Seahawks on defense because this has been a team that's been better against tight ends this year, but that has historically been one area that Pete Carroll's defense has had a lot of trouble. Even back in the Legion of Boom days, teams had some success throwing the football to tight ends, and you and I both know how dangerous Mark Andrews is, the numbers that he's putting up this year. But I want to see Jamal Adams going up against Mark Andrews because Adams has been pretty darn good in coverage so far since coming back from his injury. He had a couple plays last week where he covered David and Joku going downfield and was in his hip pocket. He had a pass deflection with his helmet, which was awesome, <laughs> but uh, that was up near the line of scrimmage. But nonetheless, he's been pretty solid in coverage. And so this is going to be that first real test for him going up against one of the elite of the elite at the tight end position. And if Seattle can limit Andrews and not let him go off, obviously Baltimore's got a lot more talent, a receiver that they've had in many years with Zay Flowers leading the charge. Him versus Witherspoon, rookie versus rookie, I think will be really fun too in this game. But Andrews versus Adams, that's kind of got that get your popcorn ready uh, feel to it because Jamal Adams, when he is on, when he is healthy, is as good as any strong safety in football. He's a great cover safety against tight ends. And Mark Andrews, obviously, is a huge mismatch problem for safety. So that's one of those something's got to give type matchups for me. Yeah. And if you're talking about weapons, I'll, I'll go to Seattle's and talk about DK Metcalf a little bit. And that Marlon Humphrey matchup, whenever those two guys are lined up on each other, big physical guys. That's one to me where I, I, that's another get your popcorn ready matchup on the other side of the ball for the Ravens and the Seahawks. But Baltimore secondary again, Geno Stone is the interception. We have Geno Smith and Geno Stone in this matchup. So two Geno S's, but Geno Stone has looked really good for them. Filling in for Marcus Williams, five interceptions on the year, which again is the top number in the league. So for me, I think that with this Baltimore team, if you can limit 
Seattle early, and part of that maybe is the Humphrey versus Metcalf matchup, and you can get things going. But for Seattle, if they can shut down Mark Andrews, as you talked about, and Devin Weatherspoon maybe gets the better of Zay Flowers, who knows what happens with that one, that I think that this might be a game where the score is maybe lower than some people talk about because it's two really good defenses. I think this might be a defensive game. Baltimore's offense has been, been inconsistent. So we'll talk in the final part of the show about key predictions and what each team has to do to get the better of the other. So be sure to stay tuned. So lots to get into on both Locked on Ravens and Locked on Seahawks. First, this episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. And if you're looking for daily fantasy sports, look no further than Prize Picks. They're really great over there. And Prize Picks is the most fun so many have had, winning up to 25 times their money this football season. All you have to do is select two or more players, pick more or less than their projected stats, and place your entry. And basketball season is also here. You can now pick a combo projections across football and basketball from their specials league, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players in different sports or leagues. For example, maybe you want the LeBron James and Travis Kelsey combo at a 10.5 combo, a three-pointers made plus reception. If, if you want to play alongside some of the prize picks favorites like rapper Meek Mill, comedian Andrew Schultz, you can now find community plays under the promo tab of the app to view entires and the entries from some of the biggest names in prize picks community each week. Plus, maybe in this game, you want to go for Lamar Jackson going for more than his projected passing road total. Maybe DK Metcalf more than his receiving road total. You can do that over on prize picks. Plus, Pressbox even offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play, even if one of your players gets injured for football and basketball games. If you have a player who exits the game in the first half and doesn't return in the second, that player is rebooted. So Pressbox is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy, which is new and it's really cool. Go to pricepicks.com slash LockdownNFL and use code LockdownNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's pricepicks.com slash LockdownNFL and use code LockdownNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. We're here rounding out Locked on Ravens and Locked on Seahawks. I am Kevin Ostriker. He is Corbin Smith. And Corbin, this, this game to me, it might come down to a play, might come down to a turnover or a defensive stop. For you, in your eyes, what do the Seahawks have to do in order to get the better of the Ravens? So I'm glad that you brought up the turnover situation because – there have been a lot of Seahawks fans, and I don't understand this rationale, but this is just how fans act sometimes. Geno Smith has had more issues with interceptions this year than what we saw last season. And so that has led a lot of fans to be like, hey, it's Drew Locke time. And no, that is not happening. Geno Smith has still done a lot of really great things. I mean, they put up 360 plus yards against the Cleveland Browns defense last week, which the Browns hadn't given up more than, I think, 243 in a game the entire season. I mean, that defense has been as good as anybody, and Seattle put up 360-plus yards. But Geno Smith, every game, he's had one or two boneheaded throws that he has made, and most of the time they have turned into interceptions. So that cannot happen in this football game. I mean, if he throws one, the Ravens' defense is really good. But you cannot have multiple turnovers. Geno Smith needs to show that he can be more than good or adequate, which last year – that was the case. He has had moments of brilliance this year, but he's just been more inconsistent. Part of that's been the injuries they've had in the offensive line, even though that group has played much better than anticipated with all the players in and out of the lineup. But it, to me, on offense, with all the weapons the Seahawks have, you want to be aggressive, but at the same time, Geno Smith's going to know who he's going up against. You do not want Geno on Geno interception crime here with Geno Smith picking him off and getting number six. So he needs to be smarter with the football 
Get it out of his hands. Don't try to do too much. Let your playmakers make plays. And if they can avoid the turnovers that ultimately cost them the game in Cincinnati, they were the better team that day aside from the turnovers. They ended up losing the game, though. You can't have that happen on the road against a really good team like Baltimore. So protect the football. Be able to sustain some drives. Be smart with the passing game. Lean on the run game some. I think if they're able to play a clean game, they have a good chance to go to Baltimore and win this game because they historically, under Pete Carroll, have played well in these 10 a.m. Pacific time starts. And I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned the kind of turnover sloppiness area for the Seahawks because for the Ravens, there have been some struggles with that offense, specifically fumbling. The Ravens have had a fumbling issue for pretty much the entire season. In week three against the Colts, they had four fumbles on four consecutive drives which essentially was a big reason they lost that game in a game they probably should have won. But it's been the self-inflicted wounds and the self-inflicted mistakes that they have made that I feel like, and everybody else feels like, the Ravens are have been, for the most part, the better team in these games. But they're either letting opponents hang around for too long and either cost them or make these games a lot closer than they should be. So against the Seattle defense again, which has been pretty lights out for the entire season, plus you go and you add a guy like Leonard Williams, if a fumble happens, there's been some missed exchanges on the mesh point with Lamar Jackson and Justice Hill. Those have been a communication issue. Guys are protecting the football, but are just getting them punched out. They've been good punch outs. Those turnovers can have a huge impact on a game. And we have seen that happen here in Baltimore over the course of the season where Baltimore's sloppiness has been their undoing in multiple and essentially both their losses and some of their wins that were a little closer than people thought. So for me, the offense has been a little inconsistent. We saw only one 60 minute effort from them this season, in my opinion, and that was that Detroit game where they just blew out the lions. Other than that, they've had either a really strong start and then fizzled out as the game went on, or they've started kind of slow and then gotten better as the game went on. So for me, it's not like every play has to be a good one but you can't disappear for a half or for a quarter and expect your opponent, especially a team as good as Seattle, not to either get themselves back in the game or take a lead in the game. And you have to work back from that. So I think that this is probably the second biggest or biggest test the Ravens had offensively outside of Detroit. And, and again, the Ravens beat down on Detroit, but Seattle's a team that I think with their stars and their playmakers and, and their coaching staff and their defense. It's a well-rounded group. And I'm excited to see how both these teams go up against each other because Lamar, and he didn't, he didn't want to talk about it, but he only has one loss against the NFC in his entire career. And I know that a lot of people attribute that to, well, the teams just don't see him as much and they don't really realize how fast he is because they only watch the film and don't have a lot of game experience on him. But Lamar wants to just win games. He's motivated. This team is in the right mindset. So we'll see, because I think Seattle's a really good football team and, and they're in contention this year in that conference, the NFC. But Corbin, what's your prediction for this one? How, how do you see this game going? So I don't give game predictions in terms of scores until our Friday show. But right now, according to our friends at FanDuel, this is a five and a half point spread in favor of the Ravens at home. I think that this game is going to be difficult for Baltimore to cover that because I think it's going to be one of those games that could go down to a field goal or even less than that. That's the type of game that I'm anticipating that we are going to be seeing here. I like the Seahawks' chances to be able to make this one a down-to-the-wire affair. 
late. I think winning in Baltimore is going to be a major challenge. I think that this is going to boil down to who has the football last or who gets that last big turnover. Like you said, that might be – this is one of those games where if one team turns the ball over just one time, that might be the difference between winning and losing because I think both these teams – I think they're pretty equal, and I think they do a lot of things similarly that they are good at. And I think some of their weaknesses are fairly similar. So it's kind of a carbon copy game in a lot of different ways. But I just I worry about Lamar Jackson's legs because the only time the Seahawks played against him, he torched them at Lumen Field back in 2019. It's going to boil down to the pass rush for the Seahawks. Can you be effective while not being overly aggressive? Because if you're overly aggressive, get too far upfield, Lamar Jackson's going to run for 200 yards against you. So I'm really curious to see what that pass rush plan looks like, particularly with Leonard Williams coming in. Can you get the interior pressure, not let Lamar Jackson get out of there? But as far as predictions go, I I think that right now I'm leaning towards Baltimore being the team that I'm going to pick here. But I think it is is truly one of those flip a coin type matchups that you always look forward to. It might be the game of the week here in week nine. Yeah, for me, five and a half on FanDuel seems a a little rich. I I would probably agree with you, Corbin, and say that it's probably going to come down to a field goal or a one-point victory for a team here or there. Now, the Ravens, when it comes down to those, I always say, well, the Ravens have Justin Tucker and the other team does not. So that's something that's good on the Ravens' side. You mentioned you're worried about Lamar Jackson's legs. I I think that for me, the Seattle pass rush in that interior is a little worrying for me just based off of what can Tyler Linderbaum do in this game? Can he step up against Leonard Williams? He's been awesome pretty much the entire season, but did struggle against Leonard Williams in that Giants matchup, as I mentioned. But Lamar Jackson has masked a lot of the Ravens, as I talked about inconsistencies on the offensive side of the ball, just because he can escape and make magic happen. He made a one-legged throw the other day against the Cardinals in week eight, which is making the rounds. So even though the Ravens haven't been as consistent as many would like on offense, it's a new system with Todd Munkin. They brought in different pieces like Odell Beckham and Zay Flowers. They're, They're trying to get acclimated after a really rough injury stretch to start the season. The thing with Baltimore is they usually play up or down to competition, and every team does it, but it feels like the Ravens do it a little more <laughs> than, than every other team. Seattle's a good team. The Ravens are going to have to Seattle kind of does the same thing, let's be honest. Every every team does it. Like It's probably one of the more frustrating things for every fan base because it's like, like for example, the Cardinals last week with Josh Dobbs, you're just like, okay, this should be a Ravens blow, but they made that a game, and it was one possession by the end of it. But I think that this one, I also lean Baltimore – I could easily see it go in Seattle's way if the Ravens don't get off to a fast start and Seattle takes advantage of maybe an early turnover or some three and outs because the Ravens defense has put that offense in good positions because they've played so well. But I I will say Baltimore right now for me is where I'm leaning with that. But that's all we have for you here today. I'm both locked on Ravens and locked on Seahawks for Corbin Smith. I am Kevin Ostreicher coming up tomorrow. We'll be rounding out the week with our respective shows. So be sure to stay tuned for those. We'll see you right back here tomorrow. I'm both locked on Ravens and locked on Seahawks.